Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil, a podcast against shame. I hope you're well. I am, I'm good. I'm tired. I am in the middle of New York on my own doing promo and doing my job. And because I've been in bed for such a long time, uh, for anyone who hasn't been listening lately, I haven't been very well since around October and I've been in bed a lot of the time. And then every so often someone wheels me out <laughs> to go and join the circus and do my proper job as a media personality. And it's really intense and weird when I do it, especially after living like a lot of time in solitary confinement in my bedroom. And even though I live with flatmates, I can't always get up and down the stairs. So I spend a lot of time on my own, on my phone, reading your letters. So that's been great. And I've been making this podcast largely from that room. And so I've been able to keep my mind alive because of this, because of what we all do together with this. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen. And thank you for all your letters. They're lovely. It's fucking surreal to keep going back and forth between bedroom silence not having to be a human, not having to make eye contact with people. And then suddenly it's just like everyone's in your face and it's Times Square and it's live television. And whenever I'm live, my brain wants to only say the thing that will upset my publicist the most and cause the most chaos. It's like the red button. I just want to press it. I just want to fucking smash that button and make everyone else feel as anxious as I feel, I think, is the truth of it. Um, so it's, it's, it's odd. It's odd and surreal, but I'm very lucky to be able to do it. And I've had a fucking blast and ha and met so many great people and had some lovely experiences. One of the things I did this week was The Daily Show, uh, which used to be hosted by Trevor Noah. And this week I was on it with the excellent and hilarious Desi. And she gave me an opportunity to talk a bit more about this movement I've been doing that I've been building slowly for a few years now with iWay, where I encourage people to exercise in a way that is unrelated to body image, in baggy clothes, eating a sugary snack, dancing to disco music, galloping, doing whatever you feel like, looking as stupid as possible. The opposite of what exercise culture is, which is being smooth and controlled and thin and having abs, but not too many abs and being super fit and super athletic and, and turning up at the gym looking like you've always been going to the gym your whole life since you were two years old. It's just fucking intense and I'm sick of it. And it's why I haven't done basic exercise most of my life because the worst periods of my anorexia were when I used to use exercise to kind of purge. It was almost like my form of bulimia. I would punish myself for the eating that I had done the day before. And so I always looked at it as this like awful punishment. And I never looked at it as something that would benefit anything other than my waistline. And everything was just calories in, calories out. It was such a boring, devastating way to live. And no one really talked when I was growing up about dopamine or, or the hormone regulation and the happy chemicals in your brain and stress release and sleeping better and, and being able to really alter your body's chemistry. Fuck your weight. Just really being able to make a significant change in the way you feel mental health wise. I didn't really get that. And even though we talk about that stuff more now, it's not really going in. For the majority of people I know, it's not really going in. They're like, yeah, yeah, exercise make me happy, but really I want a nicer bum or I want a thinner waist or I want a flatter stomach. Deep down, 
it's so hard for most of us, for almost all of us to separate it from, from diet culture. You know, as I said on the Daily Show this week, that it feels like the diet culture is just shagging the exercise culture now and they're just in bed together and they are as one. And I'm just so fucking done with it. I'm done with the term exclusive. I think it's exclusionary and I think that's a bad thing. How can we talk so much about inclusion and inclusiveness and diversity and then shut most of the world out of something as basic a right as exercise? Pregnant people, elderly people, fat people, people with disabilities, people who just like me aren't very good at moving their bodies. You know, I'm not elegant. I can't fucking dance. I can't do anything normally. I'm like a wobbly sort of one of those inflatable men that they have outside car sales. You know, that's how what I look like when I move. We all, we all weren't born to be in a bloody fitness advert looking amazing. We're not all Tom Cruise and fucking Mission Impossible, are we? Well, I'm not. Maybe you are. Well done, you. But I'm sick of it. And I have been entering the world of exercise from a completely different angle in the last two years since I did She-Hulk. Because that show really made me look at my body completely differently, especially because I had to get bigger, but also because I had to become more more flexible. I had to become stronger. I had to learn martial arts. And by doing that, my mental health completely transformed. And as soon as the show stopped, even though I had vowed I would do it forever, I stopped moving entirely. I got into bed and didn't move another muscle because I thought, what's the point? And all those old eating disordery thoughts came back into my brain. The only thing that has interrupted that has been this movement that I've been slowly building on my Instagram, getting people to move only for their mind. The movement is called Move For Your Mind. And I'm now seriously getting into it. And we're going to have people on the podcast who are going to talk to us more specifically about this in the next few months. But um, as of next week, which will be May, uh, we are starting a a daily reminder for everyone to move their body in any way they can, whether it means cleaning the kitchen really fast or dancing in your living room or running around with your dog or trying out Zumba or trying out climbing. I'm going to go and try a bunch of shit in front of all of you on Instagram and you can hopefully use that as inspiration to do literally anything with your body. Fuck the calories, fuck the muscles. Just think about the fact that, yes, fine, it might take six months or six years to get the body of the patriarchy's dreams, but it will take you about six minutes to start feeling the direct and meaningful impact of moving your body. And it doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't even matter if you are able to stand or not. You can move your body in ways that can change your entire day. I think medication is so important. But I also think medication became the be all and end all for me. And I needed to balance that with something because after a while, meds stopped being as effective as they were when you first started using them. And so you need something to balance that out with. And for me, that thing is becoming exercise. I'm still not fully in. I'm figuring it out. And so I'm hoping that all of you will join me and encourage me and I'll encourage you right back. And in the month of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, but also the month for physical fitness, I Wei and me together are going to create an entire endless cycle of discussion about neurology, about how our minds work, about how our hearts work. And we're leaving body weight the fuck out of it. Had no business being in the basic movement of our bodies. We are democratizing exercise. We are taking exercise back. And so from Monday, I hope you 
join us on my socials for a bit of that. I hope it inspires you. I hope it, I hope we can begin the journey of helping you reframe exercise if it's something you struggle with. I know a lot of people do, and I'm with you if you're one of those people. Boy, am I with you. And if not, then well done because you have escaped an unbelievably pervasive culture of drip feeding subliminal messages that not everyone is allowed to come to the world of exercise, which is fucking horseshit. Anyway, today's episode is totally unrelated to that. I met this young man who is a comedian a few weeks ago. He was on my other podcast, Bad Dates, and he was so special and interesting and funny. And he handed me his book that he's written. And I thought it was one of the most amazing titles I'd ever read. So therefore I was compelled to read it. It's called is it hot in here or am I suffering for all eternity for the sins I committed on earth? <laughs> Which is just the best fucking title of any book. So I read it. And once I read it, I was like, oh, I have to get him on. I have to talk to him. We discuss so many lovely things in this episode. We talk about his book and how it explores his journey from being a straight Christian conservative meat eater to a gay atheist liberal vegetarian. We discuss his experience growing up in an evangelical Christian household and what helped him find his own voice and believe. We discuss his relationship with his parents and why he chose not to cut them out of his life, even though they hold such different values, which I think a lot of people can relate to now because the two generations are very skewered in the way that they feel about politics and social politics. And it, you know, we've become encouraged as a generation to cut people off if they think differently from us rather than do the labor of, of trying to bring them around to our way of thinking. And I get that. We unpack that because I think we both feel like there might be a better way. We also discuss his journey of loving himself and why the idea of the perfect pound of weight is a lie. So hopefully you enjoy it. He's a fucking sweetheart and it's just a really sweet, soft, easy listen. So please enjoy the wonderful Zach Zimmerman and I'll see you next week on Instagram. Zimmerman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <started> laughing. <laughs> so stupid. Um, Zach Zimmerman, welcome to IWay. How are you? Thank you so much. I am living, loving, laughing, learning, blessed and highly favored. Delighted to be here. Well, go fuck yourself. Get off the podcast. <laughs> this is not this is not what we brought you here for. That's not no, my vibe. I'm, I'm British, that's so not I'm, my vibe. <laughs> I'm hungover and um Enjoying an iced coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. There she is. God, they have good coffee. I can't believe it. It's some of the great coffee of the world, I believe. And I can nurse it. My friends make fun of me because I'll like work a medium cold brew for like four or five hours and just walk around with it. It just feels like a comfort. I would never. What do you microwave? Oh, suddenly very judgmental. I see. (laughs) Microwave my cold brew? No, I would never, I would never do you, suggest. Do you, oh, but if it was a hot, I've been known to take a, a hot coffee and re, I reheat may have, it in my I home. may have heated a cold brew, you know, because <laughs> I get to decide. I, I like to be in control. You're the queen of your own domain. 
This is starting really badly. Um, okay, uh, I'm thrilled. We to can have start you here. over. Oh, uh, no, you. no, no, no. We're not starting over. We're keeping it in. Everyone deserves <laughs> to know what an animal I am. I once microwaved scrambled eggs, and I realised, ah, this is the low point. This is this is rock bottom. From from a raw from egg to yolk, scramble, yeah, yeah. From yolk to I've, I've scramble. I played that game. It sticks yeah. to the yeah. It sticks. It to sticks the bowl. to the cup. Yeah, it just des- it destroys yeah. the cup. Yeah, I do it out of a tea mug. So anyway, um, welcome to Iway. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you here. I met you about a month ago uh, when you were on my other podcast, Bad Dates, and you were very funny, and I fell immediately madly in love with you. And uh, then you told me about your book which is called, Is It Hot In Here or Am I Suffering For All Eternity For The Sins I Committed On Earth? Which is truly, I think, my favourite title of any book ever. And I'm not always a huge reader, but I I had to read this book given the title. And it has been such a joyous ride and it is so funny and so smart and so many things about it would resonate so deeply with my audience and so I I wanted you to come here today so we could talk about the book and you and and why you wrote it so thanks thanks for honoring me with your presence uh (laughs) so okay so tell people what this book is about totally my book is about my journey from straight meat-eating conservative to queer vegetarian atheist and all the drama wherein So I've Mm -hmm. approached it with some personal essays about my relationship with my conservative family and the tensions and drama that exists there, trying to maintain a relationship, even though we believe fundamentally different things. I uh, have some humor pieces along the way just to break things up, Mm -hmm. Um, little lists and pieces of satire to keep people laughing. I've bored my soul in terms of my romantic relationships as well, from being uh, dumped on a plane to finding myself falling (laughs) in love with a sauna hookup. And then the other core theme, family love, uh, is work. So I like tracking my relationship to work and sort of odd jobs I had in high school to falling into an advertising career, to leaving it all to sort of pursue comedy and and writing. So I pack a lot lot into this bad boy, but those are sort of the, the... the core themes I went into it with. But it's it's so good. It's so funny. It's so funny that I was reading it out to all my roommates today, uh, just one of your chapters, and uh, it made me feel like a funnier person. And I'm only reading your words, but it's incredibly fun and easy to read to other people. And then you feel like a comedy superstar. It's just... It's it's a very warm book. You're writing about difficult subjects in a very divisive time. Uh, but in a way that feels like it is just, it, it has to have come straight from your heart, this book. And it was a labor of, it was triggered by the pandemic, gave me the time and the sort of uh, space to face all my deepest inner demons uh, mm-hmm. and sort of get some of this insight on the page. And so it feels nice that I might have captured something right, something true uh, in a way that can... Uh, be spread and shared to others. I mm. love the idea of someone reading this to someone. If someone fell in love because of this book, that would feel cool. Like yeah, lovers sharing like a baby the story. Making book. Yes. Yeah. Put the put, 
Put the audiobook on. Listen while you're making love. <laughs> I promise. I conception. wouldn't recommend. Sorry. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend. So talk to me. Can we can we start with your upbringing uh, and what it was like to grow up super religious and and in a con, in a conservative environment? And given that that's not what you actually now would identify with when you were younger was there a feeling of like a, a a disconnect or were you just all in? I was very all in. I talked to a friend the other day who was like when he first heard about Christianity and sort of the, the stakes of evangelical Christianity, he was like, yeah, that's not for me. And I look back and I'm like, that was a choice. I, w- I sort of bought into the entire way that my parents were seeing the world. And unfortunately, that also involved me going to hell. So I had the worst of it in that, like, I believed these were all the right answers. But since I wasn't having this conversion experience that my dad had, my dad, like, heard the voice of God and he was a pastor and would tell me the story. What did he say the voice of God sounded like? It was kind of a chanting and it was like, Jesus, Jesus, you need this. You need this. Catchy. <laughs> Gee, God knows a tune. He knows how to get in your head. Yeah, but yeah, as a yeah. kid, sounds like a pit. But as a song. kid, <laughs> <laughs> throwing down a he beat. He just likes to rhyme the same word with the same word, which isn't really uh, rap. Actually, I rhyme. No, no. Um, okay, so he sa- he said that he heard the voice of God. You did not hear that same voice of God. So therefore, you thought you were going to hell. Right? You had the fear of hell. hell. Fear of hell. Oh my god, it was so unpleasant. I once thought. I collected uh, teeny beanie babies from McDonald's. I loved mm-hmm. Happy Meal toys. Mm-hmm. And I once decided like, oh, I'm not going to heaven because I'm too attached to these. So I sat down with my brother. <laughs> 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 Which is hilarious now. But looking back, I'm like, poor little Zach. But I opened them with my brother in this like ceremony I staged in my room that was supposed to get me into heaven. But alas, it did not. The only thing that's gotten me into heaven is... <laughs> Knowing that there isn't one. Um, yeah. And that took time to eventually conclude that. I mean, we have a great gay club called Heaven, which is so hilariously named in the UK. It's very iconic. And I think it's uh, a wonderful play on the fact that gay kids are told that they will never get into heaven. And so now they have a way of doing it every Saturday night in London. Yeah, you should definitely go. It's amazing. There used to be a gay club in New York called Therapy. Um, and so... We, we similarly young, religiously mm-hmm. traumatized queer youth need therapy <laughs> as well. Um, can you explain to people what the extra layer of the evangelical is in case they aren't aware? 100%. So Christianity today has two big camps, Catholicism, which is sort of uh, most of your big gorgeous churches in, in across the world, and then Protestantism. Oh my goodness, how deep am I going to go? The big Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther was sort of like everyone has their own relationship to God. It doesn't need to be mediated by a mm-hmm. priest. So like everyone can have a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. Um, and then within Protestantism are evangelicals and fundamentalists who sort of take the Bible fully literally. Like the earth was created in seven days. That's not a metaphor. Jesus was the literal son of God. Um and evangelical as a word means like spreading the gospel too. So not mm-hmm. just I'm a Christian, but I have to make you a Christian. And mm-hmm. so that leads to a lot of the 
colonialization and the domination that the the church was doing in the past and today too. So, oh man. So it's Hope a, it's, I got it's, most it's, of that it's right. A, it's it's steroidsy, you know. It's the it's the church steroidsy. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> yeah. It's 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 uh it's a, it's a slightly you know the the intensity is dialed up on it, and and it would you say that the shame is more intense within there because they're taking the Bible so so literally. I I probably so. I definitely I'm no stranger to shame and sort mm-hmm. of felt that a lot. And even I mean, everyone can have lots of nice relationships with different religions. But Christianity in particular, for me, putting a worldview where humans are sinful and are fallen and broken and beaten and need salvation to get out of that just doesn't like promote the greatest things for me. Like I'd rather I remember as a kid thinking like, oh, I'm just like this innocent little kid, but I'm going to hell. And I'm like your, your default state is hell in the cosmology of Christianity. Like, can't we build a better worldview? Can't, can't, can't there? My version, I have a pitch for the afterlife, actually. Oh, please. When, you, when we die, there is a God and there is a heaven and there is a hell, but we don't know who God is. God is one randomly selected person from Earth. Mm-hmm. So what if we're, what if we're dead already now and that person is currently walking among us? Who do we yeah. think it is? I'm... I don't know. That's why you have to be nice to everybody because you never know who's God. <laughs> and don't make great. any enemies. That's a great philosophy. I, I am fucked. Don't wrong me. <laughs> I am so fucked. But you know what? I, I really enjoy a warm temperature, so I have no problem with that. And also, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to shit on religion. I'm not trying to shit on uh Anyone who wishes to participate within that sense of community, I totally get it. I think that we have been left with a void in our society where we no longer have those communities. I am personally not a religious person, but I I am just kind of calling out some of the things that specifically, especially for queer people, can be problematic within certain very dogmatic religions. That's all. Just to be clear. And to be clear, there is no God. Religion is a lie. Everyone should uh, abandon all churches, <laughs> burn them down. No. If anything, in the past few years, I've started to soften a little. So anyone who's been through any kind of uh, trauma might respond with like anger. Like I was really upset with my parents when I stopped believing all this. I was demanding apologies. And what only was in the your, past What few was years, your moment? What was like, how did that, how did it all unfold? <sighs> a lot of yelling. But what was the, like, how old were you? What, what, like, paint me the scene of that kind of revelation. It took, it took, I left my family and went to college, which I think separating me from that environment was the beginning stages. Like I, the metaphor I like is I was wearing my father's clothes and they started to feel like they didn't fit quite right. Like I was presenting the gospel to my fellow undergraduates. uh, And I was like, oh, wait, there's other ways to see the world. Um, cause I'd never left Virginia. I'd never left the country. And so I get into college first in my family to go to college. Um, I even studied religion. I joke, I study religion and theater. It was a double major in lies, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it took, um, I mean, religion deals with big themes like life and its meaning and death. And so it took a friend dying to sort of trigger me to realize, oh, there is no God. 
or sort of for me, this is, I understood why religion exists was to sort of help me process this morning. And that's when I kind of rejected the church or decided, okay, there's no God. I also randomly became a vegetarian then. Like I watched a documentary. I think when people make big shifts in their life in one category, they're more likely to make other ones. Like mm-hmm. you move, move to a new city, you start a whole new t- routine or you fall in love and you like take up pickleball. I don't know. But I decided to become, not decided to, realized I was slash decided to, realized I was queer, became a vegetarian, realized I was an atheist. Um, kind of in what felt like a finger snap moment. And then over time, I sort of unlearned some of my behaviors and really started to grapple with that, explore my sexuality, explore my religiosity, explore my vegetables, vegetarianism. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's essential to explore vegetables. And <laughs> um, what was that like for your mental health, right? The, there's a kind of duality there in that it must be amazing to finally release yourself from certain things that you no longer identify with and, and feel like you're living your truth. But also it's a huge overhaul to then also divorce yourself from the person you have been up until now. I didn't fully process it till therapy when I like five or so years later, like my mm-hmm. therapist, literally I've been with the same guy for six years. Um, and he changed my life. I understood. I started to process that like religious trauma, um, learned how to describe emotions, um, learned how to uh, articulate myself. And there's, you mourn who you might've been had things gone differently. And that's very emotional because then it feels like wasted time and we have such a finite life. Um, was in oh so so not the other version of you that stayed that way, but the version of you that like who would I have been if I hadn't been forced down that path? Yeah, like if could I have gotten I, to me earlier? Yeah, yeah. I feel that way about anorexia, where I'm just like, oh fuck, oh my god, if I hadn't been like weighed that day in front of my school, like what would my life be like now? Like it's just the sliding doors of what an eating disorder can do to you. It's And it's its own mm. kind of cult or religion, the one of like thin inspiration, um, mm. not to try, you know, to compare it too much on the nose, but there's just, uh, I definitely, definitely identify with that. That's very apt. Yeah, I think it's never too healthy to like feel regret, I guess, of what, what yeah. could have been, but we are owed. I mean, if, yeah, if that experience hadn't happened to you, what or then the only insight you could take from it would be to try oh, I wouldn't to stop have this fucking other- podcast would i i guess <laughs> <laughs> oh thank god <laughs> when i look at twitter who would sort of tell me that i need to like cut my parents out of my life or like burn down their house every year i'm sort of like well, that's still my mom and my dad or it's easier to what do i say someone else's like disregard for people's humanity is not your excuse to do the same like once you start seeing even conservatives as inhumane or unhuman or less than then you're cutting off a part of the human organism that we're all like interconnected together. And I look, I would love if I had liberal parents and I could be like, 
fuck the Trump train supporters. I'm still fuck the Trump train supporters, but I'm also like looking to get Thanksgiving dinner like once a year. I like my mom's uh, I like my mom's mashed potatoes and macaroni and cheese. And I think loving them, which if I use the definition of love that I found in Bell Hooks all about love, which is commitment to someone's spiritual growth. Loving someone means giving them space to change, knowing that they will, being committed to helping them change. Like I could have cut my parents out of my life, which I did for like four years, which is powerful. And I think for a lot of young queer people, they need to sow their wild oats and cut their toxic family members out for a period of time. But eventually there can be a coming home in the right scenario. And I think my parents and I learning to navigate this is kind of the great tension of my life and Mm -hmm. holding them accountable, but also letting go. Um, It's just such a, like you said, it's sucks that it happened, but what a gift that it happened. Well, Mm -hmm. this is like changes how I see the world changes, how I get scared about navigating the next year and a half, 10 years, 20 years. Um, Or my, 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 a thing I have to tell myself is I see in my parents there, the tension between the talking points that they're receiving from conservative media and the like love that their body feels like my mom loves me. She'll say like, yes, books need to be taken out of Florida schools and uh, kids shouldn't be learning about uh, about sex or, um, uh, or or queerness from a young age. But then she welcomes me home like her body loves me and knows she loves me. Her grant, one of her granddaughters or my, my, she tells uh, you all the time as well that she loves you. You say in the book that it's, she says it so often that it's almost as though she's trying to convince you, which I think is really <laughs> sweet. It's maybe mean, but she does. She says, I love you unconditionally. And I had to ask her like, cause it feels like she's reading a script. Like that's something the Bible says. But then I asked her like, what does that mean one day? And she's like, <laughs> she said like, you could murder someone and I would still love you. <laughs> might not be ha- I think she said like might not be happy about it or something. <laughs> I'm like oh my god oh that's very sweet I'm very <laughs> with you I'm very with you there like it's I I don't like the current um culture of of cut off a family purely over religious or political beliefs because I think we we sacrifice the opportunity to be able to level with them and and meet halfway you know I I don't think that it's a a healthy idea I don't think it's a good idea and people cut people's family members off for all kinds of reasons so obviously do you I cut my family off for other things but I think if it's something that you feel pressured to do by social media or our kind of social culture of they are different they are other I think you need to be very careful because you are potentially cutting off a part of yourself that you don't actually want to be far away from. Uh, You're doing it because you you feel like you're letting other people down if you don't, Mm. if that makes sense. Like there is such a social pressure of like if you, you know, we saw um, Sydney Sweeney, that young actress from Euphoria. She uh, posted a picture with her family at like a party and they were wearing like, what looked like MAGA hats, but they didn't say a MAGA slogan on them. But people just presumed because of where they're from and the skin colour and the fact that they even have the jokey red hats, that they must all be Republicans. And she got shat on 
for like three mm. weeks for those photographs with no declaration as to anyone's political ideologies and people were just like how could she spend time with these people how dare she spend time with these people we're cancelling Sydney Sweeney just because she's being photographed with her own family in what we presume could be a Republican setting and I just it gave me like a strong sense of ick because I don't think that that's how we're going to move forward as a culture. I don't think that's how they're going to understand us and we're going to understand them. And the next generation have always got hugely clashing beliefs with the previous ones. And I think it's vital that we we try, if if we have the time and resources, to to make sure that we don't dehumanise each other because then we have no hope at meaningful progress. And that is is then... Uh, that then comes out in our elections. It, it mm, helps no mm. one interpersonally or uh, politically. It helps no one for us to feel like this is the only way to move forward is via um, de- dehumanizing and uh, discarding. That's all. It only helps Mr. Elon Musk. It only helps yeah. the like, creators of the platforms that want our eyeballs on them for hours and hours so they can sell ads to us. We're just, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a rat in the same cage being like poked and prodded and uh, I play the game too. Like I'm on these platforms and we'll make a joke when I can. But it's definitely the, yeah. Well, it's the, na- it's the name of the game. The outrage and division is the name of the game. And I think it's really great that you talk about ways to try to come to terms. I think it's fucking great that you took your space, you established your boundaries. And I imagine that made a big impact on your family. And that's what partially... Uh, well, I would love for you to talk about what, you know, how that impacted your family and how that led to amending. I think the the power of a timeout is really powerful. The, I didn't go home for four years and then I've started to dip my toes uh, back in. A big insight I'm learning is sort of uh, making new memories and experiences with them, sort of not giving up on them politically, but p- definitely picking our battles. Every phone call with mom doesn't have to be, you know, when she mentions uh, Chick-fil-A, do I use that as a moment to educate her about their uh, donation history? Or do I move on and we talk about, like, my niece and nephew? Like, there's so many off-ramps into the the hells of a political debate that won't go anywhere. Um, or what I found quite won't go anywhere. And so I think making new memories, I'm learning, uh, we did family karaoke a few years ago for Thanksgiving. Um, like my niece had a karaoke set and she busted it out. I don't know if other families have weird traditions. This was not a tradition. No one had ever done karaoke in our family, but suddenly my dad's singing, my mom singing. That's the trick. If you don't agree with your family, just stick to the published lyrics of pop songs and then you won't fight. Just yeah. sing, just sing these songs to one another. But it yeah. was a moment where I'm like, oh, if we can, we get to pick where to focus. These are people for me that have memories of my childhood, have parts of me inside of them. I'm learning, unfortunately, how similar we are. Like as I get older, <laughs> like in I what realize, ways? Oh, my dad's really darkly funny. Mm-hmm. And my mom is so like bold and out there. And I really am like their child. They're really funny, which I think for the longest time I wasn't experiencing because I was choosing like to to, to do a uh, CNN versus Fox News, like debate with them uh, every phone call. 
But now I'm like, oh, my dad is so darkly, twistedly funny. Uh, <laughs> and it's kind of cool to have gotten both of their sensibilities uh, and contain them both. And how has their journey been with accepting your sexuality, given their their upbringing, their beliefs? Do you feel accepted now? And Like enough. That's the sort of thing. I think I've learned to sort of settle with more. I've mentioned the name of an ex when I visited home. I was at Cracker Barrel and I let like John fall and my dad didn't say anything. He, his mouth might have been bleeding from biting his tongue. I think they're very selectively learning when to bite their tongue and when not to. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had moments where I'm like, oh, they're warming up. Um, at the same time, I'm also learning uh, complete acceptance in terms of like I sent a copy of the book to my mom being like, you, I want you to be able to read it all. And then in hindsight, I'm like, uh, maybe you didn't need to read about the three way or me getting <laughs> the su twink. Suck, sucked <laughs> off in a sauna or the twink. Like, like I'm like, oh, am I asking for too much or what are the right limits uh, of of that? Like, I guess that's a lot for any parent. Right. Evangelical, no evangelical. Um, but that's that's hilarious. I think you write about your family very affectionately in this book. I mean, you write about everything. You you hold people to account, but no one more so than yourself from within oh, this. Yeah. It feels like there's, there's just like it's just uh <laughs> it's an it's a a real dedication to self-introspection. Um have you always been that way, or is that a a, a more recent thing? I think I've always been an overthinker and an overanalyzer. It probably mm -hmm. started from like analyzing my life. Why was I going to hell? And now it's turned into like analyzing my life. How can I find meaning, be as happy as possible, um, uh, sort of not be depressed and sad. But yeah, I've always, um, the, some psych, some there, or, uh, Aristotle or someone like the unexamined life, sort of examining life as, kind of why we're here um and i definitely don't mind my like himbo moments where i'm just like you know being dumb brain dumb smooth brain enjoying life dancing drinking and those are important but i do think it's worth i'm always craving like meaning and sort of i'm fascinated by how other people navigate this life do they think about these big questions or is it just because i thought about eternity from five years old. I was going to say. <laughs> Can we talk just briefly about like where you're at now, emotionally, having gone through all of those changes, what has your mental health journey been like? Where are you at when it comes to things like confidence, love, self image in as not just the way that you look but the person that you are where are you at currently what's your journey been like for whatever reason numbers are coming to mind i feel like i'm just at like 35 percent of 100 percent of what i could be mm -hmm. which is maybe sad i wish i could say like i love myself every day and i'm amazing um i definitely know myself better than i ever have before like mm -hmm. i know i've learned uh, that a person monologuing to me is like a big trigger because it goes back to my dad at the dinner table would give us this huge sermon about heaven, hell, and I would just sit there and cower in fear. So whenever anyone is kind of 
whenever I feel like I don't contribute or can't talk in a situation, I go back to that. And I know that about myself. So I was doing like a, a, a promo event for the book and I kind of felt like I didn't have anything to say and I started to shut down and I was like, oh, this is this is little me. This is old mm-hmm. me. Um, and normally I, I might have been five years ago, like spiraled for four days, like, oh, I was so left out. That was so awful and not understood why. But now I'm like, oh, I'm having a big emotional reaction. This must be touching like an old wound or sort of that's I'm that was probably a two or a three. And I was ha- feeling it like a 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the blessing of that sort of level of introspection is like, I know myself decently enough to be like, OK, I already know I'm going to be like really sad in May after the book comes out and the book tours over and I'm kind of like coming down, though a friend did say don't pre-plan your depression for weeks out. I was like, OK, maybe. But I am mindful, like I'm going to need a little bit of that. I'm going to need some alone time after a few days. I know my relationship to food, which could be better and substances is going to affect how I'm feeling. And it's sort of just like I like I, I have a decent sense of the landscape of my mind and where to poke and where to play and where to not. All that said, I do like surprising myself. I recently did like a sky skyscraper climb adventure in New York, which I'm mm-hmm. terrified of heights. I thought <laughs> I would never do. But I like leaned out over this skyscraper and it was such a rush. And I felt so powerful for a few days. It was right before it was a week before I did my first like late night TV appearance. And so after I did that, I was like, I can do anything. Like yeah. I leaned over the skyscraper. <laughs> That's so genius. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm not afraid. This is easy. I'm on the ground now. But I think at the same time, learning a lot about yourself, don't like close yourself off to like discovering new parts of yourself, like things you may have never thought you could do. Yeah, I sense from the book and also from getting to know you that you are kind of entering a period of that boldness that you say that your mother Mm. emulates you know what I mean like it feels as though they're they're uh, it feels as though I'm I'm watching someone like tip their toes in uh new waters and 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 learning how to I don't know not even just advocate yourself just show all of yourself I think this book is an amazing mm. expression of that like there is such a nudity to this book and also to your uh to your stand-up comedy, it feels as though you, after so many years of feeling like you would not be allowed to be accepted, now you are forcing people to see the whole of you so that if they accept you, they accept who you really are, your um, hell-going self. Yes. And those warm hugs are kind of, um, those. yeah, those mean more. I've thought about this in terms of uh, I worked on a cruise ship for a while and the food on the cruise ship sort of has to be bland because it's appealing to the largest number of people. It can't be too spicy or it can't be too anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've sort of learned in any interaction, whether you're meeting someone for the first time or going on some show or doing some sort of project, you can sit in the middle and be kind of bland or make sure the interaction goes well. Everybody's pleasant. Like when Mm -hmm. you're meeting a lover's parents or something, everyone's on their best behavior. Or you can show a little flash of who you are and then you'll find like the people who really like that or the people who don't mm-hmm. <laughs> like you'll start to do a thing that divides people. Uh, yeah. So it's learning. I'm learning when and where and how much to share the beautiful, strange, divine light within me and my strange, twisted personality, unfiltered, no persona, being my core self as honest as I can and seeing how people react to it. 
And how does it feel watching the way that people are reacting to your full self now? Oh, it's scary because you want everybody to like you. I want everybody to like me. <laughs> or I just want everybody to get along. Right. And also be be there while they're all getting along. Um, so it's a little... I, I know I've been reading Goodreads reviews, which I really shouldn't. And I shouldn't even give attention to them. But the sooner you decide whether you like me or not, the better. Because if you don't like me, please go away and never consume anything I create. This is not for you. I am not for you. That's okay. Great knowing you. But if you like me, let's go on a great ride. I'm going to write some books where I'm going to make some shows. <laughs> let's 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 create beautiful content together. One of the things that you kind of touch on here and there, and, and even in this conversation, is like the way you feel about the way that you look. And it's one thing that I haven't really discussed much with people on this show, but um, as a young queer person living in New York City, one of the lesser forgiving uh, places for someone within the queer community uh, when it comes to your own self-image. Where are you at with that? Is that too personal to ask you? But I always just wonder about this because I feel like there's an extra pressure that doesn't often get spoken about because there's such a, an annihilation of women's bodies that we, mm-hmm. we and it's so out of, out of control and egregious. But, but from what I see from all of my gay friends, there is a uh, an almost equal level of of pressure now building for men. It's just that there's less shit that we can sell them, uh, especially gay men. <laughs> so we don't talk about it as much. It's not in the TikTok adverts as much. But would you be comfortable talking to me about that and what your journey's been like with that? I can talk about my experience there. I think it's, I mean, it's definitely sad, sort of the beauty standards that exist. Also, at the same time, I feel like I have terrible dysmorphia i have no idea how i actually come across or look um i a thing i have discovered that's kind of fascinating is what i call the pound there's Mm -hmm. a specific pound that i become like a sexual object to gay men and uh, below it and then above it i'm not and this may just be i've created in my mind but my weight fluctuates probably between 10 and 20 pounds and i'm six Mm -hmm. foot four and i'm that, that yo-yos uh, throughout my life. And I've noticed sort of like the, the, the precision with which the gay gays like will, will find me attractive or, or not. I have uh, a theory about the magical pound. Cause of course I used to have the same thing. Having had anorexia for such a long time, I believed I had a special pound, the pound, the permission pound, right? It was the pound mm. that gave me the permission to have a good day or to wear <sighs> the thing or to uh, to allow myself to feel any confidence. Do you know what I mean? That's heartbreaking. But Jesus it's like Christ. that da- that daily that daily weigh in that that told me like a weather forecast. This is the kind of day you're going to have today. It was the day of congratulations, and the restriction will feel like discipline, and the days in which that very same restriction will just feel like punishment, mm. and what I realized in the way that people were responding to me, especially people that I was sexually interested in. Uh, and I didn't really have that much energy to be too sexually interested in anyone because I was dieting all the time. But um, anyone I I was interested in, I noticed I got, uh, I for a while thought I was getting more attention because I was at the low pound weight. But what I realized when I gained a bunch of weight on medication and then went through a lot of therapy and I was 40 pounds heavier than I had been at my thin fuckable weight, quote unquote, um, is that I'd recovered from that 
from the anorexia and I decided to accept my body much bigger, but I think I'd gain much more than that, um, is that the pound is in your head and it's because of what the pound means to your brain that dictates how you display yourself, the confidence mm. that you exude. And so it's because you feel great because you've gotten to your accepted weight that you are you are emanating a confidence that then other people are responding to. And then you see that as like confirmation bias, right? I'm getting more attention and I'm at the magic weight. That means the magic weight is working. Whereas actually it's just what the magic or knowing that you were the magic weight did to your brain that day and how it made you walk and how it made you dress and how it made you talk to people and move your body. It's all in your fucking head. And now that I exist twice the size that I was as an anorexic person with a better sex life and more attention and this, that, and the other, I realized it was all a fucking lie. And it's, it's purely down to the way that I walk through this world. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but I, but Mm -hmm. but I have like sort of hard data (laughs) throughout my life to prove that. And, and I think a lot of people find the same thing eventually. I feel like the universe sent you to tell me that because I've been living. I'm sorry, gay twinks in New York. I thought you were looking by me because of my weight. I was actually feeling unconfident because I made myself think that I would be more attractive without a pound or two. Yeah, it's Um, it's the taxi light. You turn your taxi light off when you don't uh, feel confident. Yep. It's, it, there's a, you know, there's, there are some people who sometimes talk about the fact I've got friends who are like, why is it always when I'm in a relationship and I'm all loved up that suddenly now I'm getting attention from everyone. And we talk about it as though it's this sort of like weird, unspoken sex in the city phenomenon. But actually it's just the fact that you feel really good about yourself. You feel sexy because someone is currently having sex with you all the time and wants to have sex with you all the time. So therefore you walk through the world with that taxi light on. You're like, I feel fuckable. And therefore there is this energy that's coming out of you that other people respond to it's so much of it is in our head and and it's so frustrating that we're imprisoned in the alternative belief that's why open relationships are lame like i can't compete in the (laughs) sexual marketplace with people that already have full love of another person like that's just not fair they're already loved (laughs) they're out here the taxi lights on it just (laughs) you're not into open relationships too much work I I've been I uh, I could be open one day, um, but for now it's just like as a single person, like everyone's coupled up. There are like twenty four year olds that have like long term partners, and I'm like, what happened? Am I the only single person left in this city? You've just got to be poly now. This is a it's a poly I'd era. Poly. I, I wouldn't mind like a lover in every port, a sort of you know a Chicago I, boyfriend. I see that for you. I see that for you. I th- I think that would be lovely yeah. for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, I and- I think it was an imp- I think it's an important thing to say, and I think it's I I so identify with the the fuckable pound. I I so do, and and I hope that you continue to like do that work on yourself to recognize that actually you're really gorge, so gorge, just a gorgeous six foot four cherub. Um, Jerob, <laughs> but it's so fucking intense. I've seen Grinder. It's like a, the Olympics. <laughs> I say it's a it's a sex video game where the coins are blowjobs, and instead of extra lives, you get the gradual decay of your physical form <laughs> until you're abandoned by the community you help build. <laughs> so 
when it comes to your your happiness and your like relationship with shame and your relationship with yourself what are the goals that you still have that what are the things that you still aspire to oh my god i want yeah i'd love in an to, ideal world like my friend um uh zach nor towers i was getting coffee with him and he's sober and has gone through aa and talked about like looking for ways to help people like mm-hmm. he actually wakes up and is like looking for a way to help another person and i'm like that sounds amazing like it's it's secretly selfish because it actually gives you a big rush mm-hmm. but like i'd love to get to a place where i'm like a little less worried about me like the more i know my own baggage etc cetera, etc cetera, and can start like helping others like i wish mm-hmm. i could flash forward to the phase of my career that's like zach zimmerman presents like i'd love to like give six of my friends like comedy specials or start to help others because that's always been part of who i am i love connecting like powerful women like i love having little brunches where i bring people together like folding i have lots of good one-on-one friendships and i like folding them onto one another and so i guess my goal for myself mentally would be maybe to like decenter myself a little like shut shut up zach you gotta go like uh introduce these two folks or shut up zach you need to like go get coffee with this like young comic or whatever like yes you have time like go do it um that feels like a like a long-term healthy thing to focus on they say that like execs later in their life are more likely to use we than i which is also probably because they're not like doing the actual work they're like we really need to get this report done by sunday um but i think as you age you think more collectively and maybe there's less like self-obsessed individualistic thinking um but i'd also like to i don't know i want like a what is it called o- ozempic is that the no, name of that weird new i'm gonna kill you i don't want it i want it for my brain though i want some magic pill okay perfects <laughs> my brain i want ozempic for the brain science and research needs to find like a pill I that makes you happy all the time God, or something my, <laughs> such a violent response for me <laughs> just like i know it's, it's healthy it. at the end like, of this, like loving conversation about mental health and like body image and this that the other we were like yeah and i was like you know where do you see yourself when it comes to your mental health later on down the line like what are the things like that, that come up in this book like you know all of the kind of darker sides of the the inner struggle that you've gone through like what are the things that you most hope to heal and you were like i think i need some azempic um (laughs) my heart fall out of my vagina (laughs) you want azempic for the brain is that not just like a an antidepressant probably yeah i should probably explore some different ones i've been on lexapro for uh year and a half now which was actually uh there's kind of like a weight connected story i did it when i first went through a breakup and that was helpful mm-hmm. and i came off it because i thought i was gaining weight from it and i was talking to a friend and he was like yeah because what could be worse than gaining a few pounds and i was like oh you're right i should go back on this <laughs> i'd rather be <laughs> sort of content like that's just what's so toxic about the culture that we we all uphold i uphold it like mm-hmm. i'm having to unlearn fat phobia in my own mind and yeah it's just this life could be we could all be so much healthier and happier um 
if we made some huge seismic changes <laughs> to the world. Yeah. I, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. And I I, uh, I remember the first time you said that to me, how much I felt like I, I wish all of my friends could have heard that because it's this incredible fear that people have that I completely understand I make complete space for, but the fact that their body is changing to save to save their lives sometimes for a while. Um, but I think that's I think it's good that your friend said that to you. Uh Zach, you are a joy and a light in this world. I have loved getting to know you. I hope everyone goes and reads this book. I hope everyone finds you online. Uh, All of the people who say that you are a beautiful rising voice in comedy are right. And thank you for spending some time with me today. Before you go, will you tell me in the least traumatic way, what do you weigh? I weigh funniness. I weigh uh, kindness. And I weigh smartness. Did I do that right? You did that right. There's no wrong way to do it. It's no always wrong different it. and everyone always gets worried and self-conscious at the end. Uh, I concur with everything you said, not that it's any of my business. And everyone go out and buy, is it hot in here or am I suffering for eternity for all of the sins that I committed on earth? Thank you, Jamila. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code iWay. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iWayPodcast at gmail.com. And now... We would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. My name is Rosella, and I weigh the amount of love and care I have for the people around me. I weigh my passion for wanting to help people with their mental health and their body image. Thanks so much. Love you guys. Bye.